and welcome to the Wheel of Crime Podcast. This podcast is ran by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Hello again. We are now in the deep depths of September, and my name is Jen Effer. And my name is Emily. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> we are, we've crested into this wee month of September in a really cute, fun way. Uh, and uh, it, I had a thought. It's gone now. Uh, what else is new? But um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm just trying to think about if there's anything like cool and unique from where we're from to share with our listeners. But uh um, not much. <laughs> We're one week closer to the release of Taylor Swift's new album, Midnights. Ooh. I know you're jumping off the walls with excitement, Em. Uh, I also cannot contain my excitement. Yes, I am the biggest uh, fan of twi- twi- Taylor Swift. <laughs> In uh, e- maybe ever, I've been very longly <laughs> awaiting this day to come to pass. Um, Did you even know she was releasing a new album? I thought that was a rumor that I saw once, like a month ago. (laughs) I had no idea. Yeah, she announced it a a few weeks ago now that she's releasing her new album, Midnights, on the 21st of October. Okay, because I was like, it is something to do with Midnight, and I know a bunch of like conspiracy theorists were like it's called midnight because she has this album called blah 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 and she talks about her relationships and it's like the morning album and then we have the new album and the evening album and now we're gonna have the midnight album i mean a lot of conspiracy theories that i've heard because her one of her last albums was called lover it was originally supposed to be called daylight so people think that this is like the counter album to lover See, uh, that would make way more sense than the whole, the deep dive one I saw. I sent it to you, but like, I was like, this is, this is too much for me. I don't know enough. Um, and then <laughs> the other thing I have seen is that there's lots of people who are like, apparently afraid that this is like her last album of her career. Yeah. I've heard those theories too, but listen, Taylor Swift, she loves the number 13. That's her thing. She does things in 13s. So I think she's going to have 13, and this is only number 10. Okay, so we got three more left. I could see that. I know. I mean, don't say it like that. Less... I'll be sad when they're all done. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, I think that if you're a music artist, you always will be to an extent. I really feel like Taylor Swift's going to be kind of like Dolly Parton, where they just are always making songs because that's what they like to do. But you never know. Maybe she has other goals or things that she wants to do. Maybe she wants to become a pilot or like uh, something else. I don't know. Um, I feel like she probably wants to get out of the uh, public hot spot. I feel like that would be on brand for her. Yeah, I could see it too. Her, her, and her kitties taking off to do something cool and live a little bit, a little bit of privacy for a while. She probably deserves it actually. After all the shenanigans over the last few years, I would agree. But uh, any other exciting news from this week for you? I literally have nothing. It's wasp season. That's news for everybody, I guess. Um, I friggin' hate it. Well, should we just get right into our wheel of questions then? Ready? Yes. 
what is the best birthday party you've ever been to? Either one of yours or someone else's. I mean, you did throw a surprise birthday party for me one year, and that is one of my favorites. I will say that was mostly your mom's doing. I was just there for the ride. You definitely collaborated, but yeah, she spearheaded that movement. Um, I don't know. I actually have more fun at other people's parties because I feel like with um, birthdays that I don't, I don't love being the center of attention for things. So like having people sit me down and wish me a happy birthday gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. Same. So, I don't know. I I much prefer going to other people's. I like being able to socialize and, you know, like, feel like I'm there, like, supporting somebody on, like, a, you know, a a life event or whatever you want to call it. So, um, I don't know. I actually really always like your birthday parties because you collaborate it with New Year's and it's, like, extra exciting. And I get to hang out with you, which is, like, the best part. That is the best part, hanging out with you. Yeah. I I feel like... I don't remember what the best birthday party I've ever been to, but I could tell you like 10 really fucking weird ones that I've been to. Yeah, for sure. I can see that. Um, (laughs) But should we spin for our next question? Yes, let's spin away. What is your greatest fear? Like, are you looking for something super serious or just something that I'm afraid of? Like, I am very afraid of spiders, needles, and I'm kind of claustrophobic. Those are some of my biggest fears. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I have many uh, fears. I am... if So, like, just like how you're afraid of spiders, I'm actually very afraid of balloons, which I don't know if I've ever told you about. Because uh, it's embarrassing and I usually don't like sharing it. But in, like, recent years, I've just decided that to embrace what my reality is. <laughs> uh, and then um, I also am really afraid of, like... Um, like caves and stuff like the idea of being like trapped somewhere underground really gives me the heebie-jeebies um you should not watch the movie the descent then because that's what that movie preys on oh god no or it's like i think i told you about the nutty putty incident once because i it popped on my facebook somewhere and of everything that i've ever read online and i read a lot of things uh that is the only thing that actually made me almost throw up <laughs> what is that so it's the one I told you about where this guy is like cave diving with his family and he's going down this one channel that's like meant to be tight. And then right. it turned out to not be at all where he thought he was because he accidentally was off in like a completely different area. And he ended up getting stuck in a tunnel that only gets thinner and he was upside down and they actually couldn't pull him out. So they cemented the caves shut and he basically died of blood loss to his head. And he, every time he like, would breathe he would just sink lower and lower into the hole and he couldn't get out and that was it he died three days after being stuck in there that i remember it now that is horrifying literally i read about it and like i said there's enough things that you see online eventually where you're like yeah there should be a few spooky things that's one of those things that stuck with me because i'm like i honestly like this is one of those reasons why i do not care how like cool a cave diving experience would be i would never because like the amount of like you'd never go spelunking Oh, God, no. What on earth would I want to see underground that's so fucking cool? Rocks? We have rocks up here. I'll go to the gem shop. I don't give a fuck. You want to show me cool... You want to show me some cool pictures of, like, say, like, underwater algae? I'll look on National Geographic. I do not need to go below the earth where the badgers and the gophers and the spiders and all them other things live. They live there for a reason and they can have it. My favorite quote from Emily, 2022. We Rocks, we got them up here. 
why would I go? Because it's a cool experience. You don't know how many other cool experiences there are that a person can have that don't involve going underground. Like, a <laughs> lot of them. So many of them. I never knew you were so passionate about this, but I'm glad to see the side of you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, no, well, because literally where would we go from where we're from where we just have, like, caves in the area? Nowhere. Um, other than I mean, there's like lots us. of caves in, like, BC and... Towards. Not in, like, Alberta, unless you're, like, in the mountains. Like, in the prairies, which is where we're There's from, mountains in the Alberta. The only cave you're gonna find is one where a cow maybe stomped in one place a few times and made a hole. And you're not gonna fit in there. So, like... I mean, there's literally caves out by Drumheller. I mean, I knew that, but I don't go there. See? Like, I know where they are, and that's <laughs> why I don't go there. You know, you know what? Fair enough. I understand. See, you don't understand, like, the nauseous thrill that I had when you and I went through, um, uh, or no, we didn't get to do that, uh, when I went with my family through that little mining thing, because they, they, it, it, it's like a cave that they blocked off, but, like, they lead you up through, like, the actual mining shaft, and I thought I was gonna pass away. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's gonna collapse, and we're gonna be stuck in here forever. Um, but yeah, Emily's really living on the edge. Literally. Uh, so yes, that is probably, I think, one of my bigger fears. I'm pretty good with most other things. Um, like, I used to be really afraid of, like, you know, the vague concept of being alone forever. But, um... That's depressing. (laughs) But now that I'm older, I kind of like being alone. So I feel like that's, like, not my biggest fear anymore. (laughs) Mm, Fair enough. But I am still afraid of balloons. And I think that one's just gonna be forever. That one's here to stay. Yes. Uh, have I told you about that before? I feel like you mentioned it, but I didn't know it was like a like a serious fear. Yeah, so like when I was a kid, which I I've, I've already told you kind of how that went for me. Um, I used to have um a bunch of kids who would like chase me with balloons and pop them right in my ears and my face all the time. Oh and so God. now, <laughs> so now, uh, even if it's say like just like a party, and there's balloons there, like literally a birthday party. I can't. Like, I will not be anywhere near them. Like, if one pops, I have to leave. Like, I cannot do it. I can't do it. It, it makes me, like, wildly uncomfortable, and I can't even be in the same room as them. I mean, you should have told me. Our leprechaun shoot from a few months ago included... Oh, that's fine. Blue. But they're not, like, the blow-up round kind. That's specifically the kind that puts me on edge. Those, like, little letter ones don't have enough, t- like, tension in them to pop like that. So they're mm. fine. Okay, okay, I see. There's rules. Wow, there's that's... rules to my strange fears. <laughs> there's rules. Well, at least there's rules in order, but that sounds dramatizing, so I kind of understand why you're afraid. Yeah, well, and then, like, too, like, some people really do find it funny when, like, how startled people get when a balloon pops, whereas it just, like, it immediately makes me want to throw up. It's funny, because I was recently at a birthday party where a balloon popped, and one of the the women there got really scared and started crying uncontrollably for at least 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, that used to be me. <laughs> but since then, like I said, I've kind of, I try to, like, climatize myself with my fears because I think it's kind of stupid to have my life controlled over a fear of balloons, for example. Um, but there are certain things that will put me over the edge, so I just try my best to avoid them. And that's basically how that goes. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. See, it's funny, though, because I just tell people nowadays that I'm not scared of anything. Like, if they do ask and I don't know them, like, super, super well. Like, well, mm-hmm. not nowadays. A few years ago. 
Because I was like, I would rather do that than have to explain a fear of balloons. Because that feels embarrassing. I mean, also, maybe this is just because, like, I have trust issues. But I feel like if you tell someone your fear and you don't know them very well, yeah. they could use it against you. Oh, absolutely. Like, um, at a different... Like, a, this would have been a few years ago now. But uh, I remember... There was a girl, uh, and she was dating this one guy who I would see from time to time, and they were actually at a party where, uh, basically I had been sitting on a couch and somebody had accidentally popped a balloon beside me and I left, like, basically immediately afterwards just because, like, I didn't want to see people, have people see me having a meltdown. But he Mm -hmm. thought it was funny. So then all of a sudden, every time that there was, like, a group gathering and, like, those particular people were there... He would be, like, spiking balloons at me or try, like, trying to freak me out on purpose because he's like, oh, yeah, like, I saw your reaction the last time and I thought it was so funny. That is just next level rude. That was my thing and there's a reason why I don't hang out with certain people anymore. But, yeah, no, you're totally right, though. There are people who think it, it, there's, like, a, a lot of hilarity to be found behind that kind of thing and I'm not really here for it, personally. Me either. But let's spin for our next question. Hell Yeah. Let's hear it. Alright, so I mentioned one of my fears is I don't I'm kind of claustrophobic. I don't really like small spaces. Yes. Uh are you afraid of small spaces? Uh I would actually say yes. Because and that also kind of relates to my whole cave fear. Because the idea of being stuck somewhere dark where you don't know where you are and you can't go like do anything about it, like like and like the the feeling of just like the room pressing in on you yeah i would say i'm definitely like afraid of tight spaces in that way me too glad we're on the exact same page about that (laughs) this is why you need to enjoy camping more because that doesn't happen when you're in the literal world where there is so much space (laughs) Mm, true true you 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 got a point there but i will not enjoy camping if it's the last thing i do Watch this be like the sushi thing where I told you to try sushi for years and you're like, I hate sushi. And then one day you're like, oh my God, I tried sushi and I love sushi. Now it's going to be the camping thing. You're going to be like, I hate camping. And then one year you're actually going to go out with like friends and have a good time. You're going to be like, wow, I actually think I really like camping. Mm, No, I'm too stubborn. I'm a city girl. City girl. All right. Uh, I got nothing more to, to add to that other than I totally get you. So do we have one more question left? Yes. What would you do if, let's say, one of your sisters was living away from home and she came back for a visit and you got the feeling that she had joined a cult? So is the question is, like, what would I do or what would yeah. like, my feelings about that be? What would you do? Like, would you do nothing in hopes that she wouldn't further distance herself from your family? Would you try to get involved and help her get out of it? Like, what would your gut reaction be? So, because I know my family, (laughs) I also know that they can be very stubborn, and if they kind of are already thinking something that challenging them on that idea, myself would probably create distance. So for me, without getting too involved, because, uh, like I said, they would be overly suspicious. Um, I would probably start trying to get them to question why they're doing and saying the things that they're doing, you know? Like, kind of, like, just try to add, add like, leading questions into it and kind of have them kind of come to question more about what they're looking to be a part of 
and maybe advise that like you know as somebody who cares about them maybe certain things aren't super great ideas even if they seem like it at the time would you be worried that like you even trying to get them to ask questions would push them away potentially not with my family my family likes to question things a lot anyways uh when it comes to things or at least now they are so I think that as far as questions go, that wouldn't necessarily be something that drove them away. But then at the same time, I guess it would depend on what the cult was. Like if the cult was, say, advocating to like, like, oh, if your family asks questions about us, obviously that's them not supporting you. Like I think that it would be very much dependent on what the actual like communications of the cult to my family member were. And I don't know if there would be really a good way to approach it at all because you don't actually know what they're saying. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like from what I know about most cults is that any sort of questioning they don't like. So I feel like when they indoctrinate new members, they're like, if your family is questioning, then they're not supporting you and like you should cut ties. I feel like they, they try and get you to cut ties with your family anyway because most people who are not inside that cult do not like outsiders because the outside people are usually like they're bananas yeah so that's exactly it right like as a natural inclination you want to ask questions and maybe but maybe that might not be the right answer depending on what the cult is so i don't really know if there's a right answer but that that would be my approach even if it wasn't the best thing to do because i wouldn't honestly know what the right thing to do would be because obviously chaining them there and then having the csi come in and like interrogate them on the call is also not a right answer, right? There are no right answers. Yeah. It would be a really tough situation. I feel like it's one of those things where as much as you would want to interfere and be like, you you need to stop. This is horrible. I feel like those types of things often are like realizations that people have to come to themselves and you kind of just have to be there to support them so that when they do want out, they have somebody to turn to. Exactly, yeah. It's actually, I've noticed just with, like, stories of cults that you shared with me in the past, as well as, like, um, some stories and testimonies that I've seen from people online, it actually sounds like there's a huge connection in behavior between people who struggle from addiction and people who are in cults. Because um, the, the recovery from both is very similar, where... Um, you cannot make the decision for another person on whether they're doing drugs or whether they're going to join a cult or what they do, but you can be there to support them if they ever, for, for wanting to change. And then it's like that whole, like, uh, idiom where it's like, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink type thing. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's a hard situation for sure, but yeah, I don't know if there's really a right answer. Don't think there is, unfortunately, but that would be a real tough one. Anywho, that brings us to the end of our questions. Do you have any guesses about what my story is for you today? Ooh, uh, I think that your story is going to be, um, there is a family and uh, their sibling disappears. And then when they return, they've obviously joined a cult and they try to save them. And then something terrible happens. Mm, uh, Like, I'm going to give you like a 2.5. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. You're like... Now give me the juice. What are we talking about today? (laughs) Okay. So today we're talking about K-1 
Cameron Hooker, and he was born in Alturas, California on November 5th, 1953. His family often moved during his childhood, and they didn't settle into a Red Bluff, California until 1969 when he was already 16. In 1972, Cameron graduated from high school and began to work at a local lumber mill called Diamond International Lumber Mill. In 1973, Cameron met a 15-year-old teenager named Janice Lashley, and Janice had a rough home life. She was abused by her family and had no sentimental relationships before meeting Cameron. As a result, Janice was submissive and she offered no resistance when Cameron called her a whore and introduced her to bondage and sadomasochism even after he almost drowned her once during one of their sessions. So we went from 0 to 100 real quick here. It's about to get worse. That is fast and furious, all right. Yes. Cameron's favorite game was to hang Janice by her wrists, completely nude, and hit her several times with a bullwhip. The two married on January 18th, 1975, at which time Cameron had already informed Janice that he intended to abduct a stranger and force her into sexual slavery so he could have a polygamous relationship with the two of them. At some point before their marriage, Janice got Cameron to agree to two conditions. He would only whip the slave and not Janice anymore so that she could get pregnant and have children without danger. And he would only have penetrative sex with Janice because she didn't want this other captive woman to be producing any babies for him. On January 31st, 1976, the couple picked up 19-year-old hitchhiker named Marlies Spanhaki in Chico, California. They drove her to her intended destination, but as she was getting out, Cameron grabbed her and forced her back into the car. Marlies was brought into the couple's home where she was hung from her wrists in the basement, undressed, and tortured for a day. She was then shot in the stomach with a pellet gun and subsequently strangled by Cameron for unknown reasons. The body was later buried in a shallow grave near Lassen Volcanic National Park and never recovered. At the time, the police suspected that Marlisa's boyfriend was responsible for her disappearance because the two of them had an argument just before she disappeared. So, obviously, since Cameron and Janice had killed Marlise, they needed to find their next victim if they were going to achieve this polygamous relationship that he so desired. On May 19th, 1977, a young woman named Colleen Stan was hitchhiking from her home in Eugene, Oregon to Northern California to attend a friend's birthday party. (laughs) She was 20 years old and at the time had hitchhiked plenty of times before. She actually considered herself an expert an expert hitchhiker and had already turned down two rides that day because they were too sketchy. Ah, yes, an expert on judging people within the first five seconds of meeting them and think you know who they are. Okay, cool. Yes, but when a blue van pulled over in Red Buff, Colleen saw that it was being driven by a man who had his wife in the passenger seat and a baby in the back seat. Colleen deemed them safe uh, because it was a young family, so she accepted the ride. 
The man driving that vehicle was unfortunately our dude Cameron and his wife Janice. So I think how you know how this is going to go. Yeah, I'm suspicious to say the least. When they stopped at a gas station along the way, Colleen had got out to use the bathroom. She suddenly said that she had a really bad gut feeling. She said, quote, A voice told me to run and jump out a window and never look back. But she unfortunately did not listen to that gut feeling. And instead, she calmed her fears and went back into the car. Soon after, Cameron pulled off the highway and put a knife to Colleen's throat once they were in an isolated area. She was subsequently locked in a wooden head box that was designed to prevent light and sound and fresh air from entering. From the pictures, it looks a lot like a coffin. Ooh, all right. <laughs> yes. On the first night of her kidnapping, Colleen was strung by her hands, physically attacked by Cameron, and left blindfolded and suspended while the pair had sex below her. In view from the box, she propped up her purse under the bed, and she was able to see a photo of Marley's, who Colleen didn't know at the time, but was their last victim. Colleen uh, proceeded to be kept locked in that box for 23 hours a day. So Cameron told Colleen that she was being watched by a large, powerful organization called The Company, which would painfully torture her and harm her family if she tried to escape. Cameron wanted Colleen to be like a female character in the 1954 French erotic novel Story of O and soon started raping her, which mostly consisted of oral rape. Cameron didn't have vaginal sex with Colleen because it was a breach of his agreement with his wife. So at least he's a man of his word, I guess. Uh, if there's a plus side, I guess. (laughs) Yes, a very bleak plus side. So instead, uh, he raped her vaginally and anally with implements. Following this, the Hooker family moved to a mobile home in Red Bluff with Colleen and she was kept locked in wooden boxes under the couple's waterbed. In January 1978, Colleen was given a contract and forced to sign herself into slavery for life. After being locked inside of a small wooden coffin for around eight months straight, she signed that contract and became a slave referred to as Kay. She was forced to call Cameron master and was not allowed to talk without permission. Also in 1978, Janice gave birth to a second child on the waterbed above Colleen. Colleen said that her faith in God and belief in a chance of escape helped her survive. Her greatest fear was the company, which Cameron reinforced daily to avoid painful punishments. Colleen simply complied with his commandments. And because Colleen had been with them for a while and because she was so compliant, she started to earn some privileges with Cameron. He allowed her to go out to jog, work in the yard, care for the family's children in the mobile home, and help him build bigger accommodations like an underground dungeon for more slaves that he planned to capture. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's super fun. Mm-hmm. So even with an open door, neighbors, and a telephone, she made no attempt to escape because of her fear of Cameron and the company. 
1981, Cameron let Colleen visit her family by herself, and she still did not reveal her situation due to her fear of possible consequences. Her family thought that she was involved with a cult because of her homemade clothes, lack of money, and absence of communication over the years. They did not want to pressure her, fearing that she would stay away forever. So, similar approach to what you would do. Yeah. The next day, Colleen returned for a second visit with Cameron posing as her boyfriend. Colleen said that she was happy about visiting her family, who were therefore able to take a photograph of her and Cameron happily smiling together. According to Colleen, Cameron feared he had given her too much freedom and took her back to his mobile home where he locked her in the wooden box under his waterbed and she remained in the box for 23 hours a day for the next three years. Bodily functions were dealt with by her using a bedpan, which she positioned under herself with her feet. She was not allowed to make any noise and had to lie still for 23 hours at a time in the dark with little air to breathe. During the summers, the conditions were especially harsh on her as the temperature in her box would rise to over 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius. For us Canadians. And to feed herself, she ate scraps of food. During this three-year period, Cameron even told his young kids that Kay had gone home because she used to babysit them, so they were wondering where right. she went. But once the kids went to bed, Cameron would take Colleen out of the box to feed and torture her. It was not until 1983 that Colleen was reintroduced to the children and neighbors. She was also allowed to get a job as a maid at a motel. Cameron wanted Colleen to become his second wife, which was a turning point for Janice. Janice confessed that starting with their first date, she had also been tortured, brainwashed, and referred to as a whore over the years by Cameron. Janice further stated that she survived the relationship by engaging in denial and compartmentalization. By August 1984, Janice began struggling with herself and went to Colleen and informed her that Cameron was not a part of the company. However, she maintained that the organization did exist. Janice then helped Colleen to escape and took her to a bus station, where Colleen was able to call her family and get them to wire her the money for a bus ticket. She also made a call to Cameron, surprisingly, to inform him that she was leaving him and that he reacted by bursting into tears. This whole thing is rattling me. I can't. Like, are you, like, seriously? Yeah, he's like, no, don't leave me. I love you. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, let's just call love suffocating somebody under a waterbed for years. No kidding. Jesus. Horrendous. Men are disgusting. They are. So Janice did beg Colleen not to go to the police, claiming that she could rehabilitate Cameron. Colleen, for some reason, agreed and got on a bus back home to California to be with her family. I feel like she probably agreed because she was worried if she didn't, she might not get out of there. But Well, and because at this point, too, like, she still thinks the company is, like, a real thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So... Surprisingly, months later, Colleen had kept true to her word and did not contact the police, but continued to call Cameron regularly. She said that Janice had requested she do this in order to give Cameron a chance to reform. 
However, three months later, in November of that year, Janice reported her husband to the police all by herself. I guess she realized that he was not able to rehabilitate from all of this on his own. And she informed Lieutenant Jerry D. Brown of the Red Buff Police that Cameron had kidnapped, tortured, and murdered Marlise Spanhawk, who had disappeared on January 31st, 1976. Cameron was subsequently arrested and authorities were unable to locate the remains of the woman due to the lack of physical proof. No murder charge was brought. Chris Hatcher, a forensic psychologist and criminal profiler, testified for Cameron's prosecution at the start of 1985 trial. And Janice testified against her husband in exchange for full immunity. And in the end, Cameron was sentenced to consecutive prison terms totaling 104 years for sexual assaults, kidnapping, and using a knife in the process. Originally ineligible for parole until 2023, he had his hearing date moved up seven years to 2015 by California's elderly parole program. So on April 16th, 2015, his request for parole was denied and Cameron would have been eligible for another hearing in 2030. However, because of the lovely COVID-19 pandemic, the prison system was vastly overpopulated and the COVID was spreading like rapid fire through them. So they're really trying to get people who didn't need to be there out early. Um, even though he's not the man to release early, uh, I don't think. I would say not. Definitely a, a menace to society, but all right. <laughs> so California officials contacted Colleen and advised her that they were looking into possibly granting Cameron parole in March 2021. Instead of a parole hearing, authorities scheduled a hearing in September 2021 to decide if Cameron should be classified as a sexually violent predator, which would result in his several commitment to a state hospital. Tima County District Attorney Matt Rogers says that since then, he and others have made efforts to stop Cameron from being allowed out of confinement. He said, quote, because of changes to California sentencing law, his sentence was reduced down based on charges to credit calculations and possible things like that. And he became eligible and he became eligible for parole rather than being paroled. Quote, a judge heard the evidence from state doctors and determined that there is probable cause to believe that Cameron does meet the definition of a sexually violent predator. Since a judge has now determined that there is a probable cause that Cameron is a sexually violent predator, he will go to trial, which could be a court or a jury trial. If in that trial he's found to be a sexually violent predator, he will not be paroled but confined to a state mental hospital. And if that trial successfully determines that he is in fact a sexually violent predator, he could also get released if officials then determine he has been properly rehabilitated. But even if that happened, the district attorney says the entire process could take 10 to 20 years for a man who is already considered a senior citizen. After the original 1985 trial, Colleen decided to study for an accounting degree. And on March 9th, 2014, there was a New York Daily News article which 
Colleen was quoted as saying, tried to move on to a normal life, but miserably followed her of a string of failed marriages and a troubled child now in jail. Colleen also joined and volunteered for Reading Women's Refugee Center, an organization to help abuse women. Janice reverted to her maiden name, Lashley. Wonder why she didn't want to keep a hooker. Um, She became a registered associate social worker and has worked as a mental health professional. Both Janice and Colleen continue to live in California. However, they do not communicate with one another. That's fair. And that is my tale for you today. Ooh. uh, I feel like every time you tell me a story of any crime... I always just leave feeling so disgusted, especially by men. And I know that, <laughs> and I know that's probably a controversial opinion. But like, especially stuff like this, where it's like, what kind of sane human being thinks, yeah, I will just kidnap this person, shove them under my waterbed where they're gonna boil to death every now and again. I'm gonna threaten them forever. And then abuse them and apparently claim that I'm actually in love with them and in a relationship with them and then cause so many other problems for literally everybody else for years and years later. Like, this is madness. I feel really bad for Colleen. I feel like... She never got her justice? The adjustment period after finally breaking free of that kidnapping and, like trying to just live a normal life would be like a steep learning curve and I feel like it it seems like she's had like lots of like um ups and downs and I think she's doing a bit better now but I just can't even imagine how you possibly move on from something like that I don't know if you really ever do there's a new documentary it's called girl in the box that came out where she's basically talking about her experience and she mentioned how before any of this even happened like she was super claustrophobic and that was like one of her biggest fears was small spaces and then so being shoved into this situation was just like traumatizing on many levels i'm sure oh it definitely probably made her issue like way worse than whatever it was to start with no kidding i i just i can't even imagine being in like a coffin shaped box underneath someone's fucking waterbed in like 38 degrees in the summer and you're literally have a shit pan underneath you Mm-hmm. literally everything you told me just like i said it just really amplifies my feeling of disgust and horror because like like i said a sane person does not think like this no you know what i mean like and i'm just so horrified for the fact that she even had to go through it it's yeah terrible i also feel bad for janice like she came from a bad home life and then just kind of got sucked into this man who made things also terrible probably did a lot of the same things to her Uh uh-huh yeah i know the the abuse cycle there's really a lot to be said for how people fall into this kind of stuff but yeah i don't know i just hope they're both doing better now <laughs> me too i heard nothing but victims in this case and like like i said really really hard not to feel disgusted and like i said i know the whole like ugh, men thing is uh a little controversial because obviously not all men but um Uh, i don't think it can be controversial if you hear this story i think men is the appropriate response exactly and like there is something to be said for consistency in how a lot of the pretty much every single one of these cases that you have shared with me where it's something horrific and like 
mentally like um abusive to like a whole other level and there's always like sexual assault and stuff usually the abuser in this situation is a man it's not normally a woman who goes and kidnaps somebody and does this to them not saying it hasn't Mm -hmm. happened but just saying in my memory of everything that we've talked about anyways that does seem to be the uh consistency so a lot to be said for that too yes i I honestly i fucking hate it (laughs) oh yeah horrific i hope everybody's doing a lot better fuck that guy and uh yeah um just nauseous for her on a whole other level me too but that's the end of our story for today we have one more episode for you next week and then we are getting right into our spooky season episodes i'm pretty excited about it Oh yeah, getting into the grit of it. And um, if you listened to last week's episode, you'll know that to top off uh, our month here before we get into October, I'm going to be sharing some some interesting and potentially spooky uh, personal stories and maybe legends of the Appalachian Mountains, which will be really cool. So get us into the spirit of fall, as one might say. Yes, I am super stoked. Yes. And so with that, it brings us to the end of today's episode. If you liked us, um, you can leave us a review on wherever you're listening to our podcast to, at today. Um, five stars does help us with reaching out to new people, so that would be greatly appreciated. Besides that, we also have an email, which is wheelofcrime at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email there and just say anything you like, anything uh, you want us to improve on in the show, um, maybe uh, you want a story of your own to share. Like, we, we love talking to people and we'd love to have you. Um, besides that, uh, we also have social media, which is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Wheel of Crime, and a Patreon as well if you want to donate to the show. Uh, that is Wheel of Crime at Patreon. We also have a website, which is www.wheelofcrime.com if you want to check us out there too. Perfect, and that's, that's it, that's all. We'll see you next week. Okay, bye! Bye! Bye!